Hey there, I'm so excited to tell you about Radiotopia's newest show, The Recipe with Kenji and Deb. Kenji and Deb are two of the best home cooks alive. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt of The Food Lab and The Walk, and Deb Perlman of Smitten Kitchen. Two of my go-tos to make sure I'm getting the perfect recipe for everything from meatballs to muffins. They're pros who obsess over techniques and essential ingredients, so you learn everything you need to create your perfect recipe. You can finally be excited to eat what you make, and maybe even impress your friends and family. Help us welcome the newest show to the Radiotopia family. Find The Recipe with Kenji and Deb on your favorite podcast platform starting February 26th. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, home of the Name Your Price tool. You say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. It's easy to start a quote. Visit Progressive.com to get started. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to This Day in Esoteric Political History from Radiotopia. My name is Jody Avergan. This day, June 18, 1865, was the last day that slaves in Texas were subject to slavery. On June 19th, Union soldiers arrived in Galveston with orders to free the slaves per the Emancipation Proclamation. Maybe I confused you with that timeline. This is one of those shows where we fudge the date a bit. But the point is, we're talking about what came to be known as Juneteenth or Freedom Day or Jubilee Day, celebrated on June 19th every year. Here to talk about it is, as always, Nicole Hemmer of Columbia. Hello, Nikki. Hello, Jody. So I managed to confuse listeners and maybe myself and maybe you with the timeline there. But I will say that actually there's, there is some confusing timeline as part of the story because June 19th is the day that slaves in Texas are declared free. The Emancipation Proclamation was issued two years earlier. The Civil War ended in April. So you have this gap between, quote unquote, freedom and when the orders for freedom are actually delivered. What's going on there? Yeah, it's a confusing thing because the Emancipation Proclamation, which is what we always think of as like, okay, this is going to end slavery. It only applies to the states that are still in open rebellion against the U.S. And the U.S. on the Union side, there are still states that have enslaved people. And so they're exempted from it. And like all laws, it only really counts once it's enforced. And if you think about how news travels and who's invested in spreading news, it's not as though people woke up on January 1st, 1863 and suddenly knew about the Emancipation Proclamation. It just, it wasn't something that was spread often throughout the South. It it traveled through rumor networks, but it didn't have force behind it. And so it's not the moment when people actually were able to be free. Yeah. And it's information that was actually actively withheld in some cases. I mean, there are reports of slave owners not telling their slaves that this that the Emancipation Proclamation had, had come down. Or even in Texas around Juneteenth, some slave owners waited until the end of the harvest, until the fall, and then told their slaves and, and freed their slaves. So yes, an important reminder of how information gets spread. I, I want to talk a little bit about Juneteenth as a, as a sort of a holiday and a celebration and and so forth. I mean, it is it is one of these days that we can go through a little bit of the history of it, but it's one of these these days that really has meant different things in different eras. And so it was for a long time, uh, up until kind of the, the 20s, sort of a Texas celebration, right? Yeah. And that makes sense, right? It was this holiday that was about freedom in Texas. Like this is the, when the news comes to Texas and freed people throughout the state would celebrate this day. And there were some celebrations that sort of trickled out to other states. But this by and large was a Texas celebration. And, you know, Texas itself is a 
an interesting state. It had been a country of its own for a while. And so that sort of Texan pride, I think, gets wrapped up in some of that state celebrating. I mean, what does it say? What does it say anything that the the celebration of emancipation that is you know potentially turning into a, a major holiday around the country, as we'll discuss, comes from Texas and not from what we think of as a more kind of core Confederate slave-owning state? I think so, because just as Texas was sort of outside of the reach of the Union Army in a lot of ways. I mean, that's one of the reasons that this news got there so late to Texas and why it was enforced so late is because there weren't a lot of soldiers on the ground to enforce emancipation. There was also just more space in Texas for this kind of celebration to develop. I mean, if you think about the way that Reconstruction in places like Mississippi and Alabama, that black freedom was brutally circumscribed, there was just a little bit more space for Mm -hmm. black culture to thrive in Texas. So Juneteenth is, as we've been describing, somewhat of a Texas celebration, Texas holiday. Um, In the 20s, during the Great Migration, Isabel Wilkerson in her book, The Warmth of Other Suns, fantastic book. I will say, I cannot wait for her new book to come out. Good God. Uh, Totally agree. But anyway, she talks about how, you know, among the many other things that that blacks from the South took to the rest of the country, Juneteenth spread to Los Angeles, Oakland, Seattle, and other places that people from Texas went. And that's where we start to see it expand as, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think, you know, kind of a, a cultural celebration as, at first, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And I actually think those those cities that you named, Los Angeles, Oakland, Seattle, actually give us a view into how the Great Migration worked. I mean, where Black people migrating from the South went really depended on where they originated. So people from Florida went to places like New England or New York, and people from Mississippi and Alabama went to Chicago and people from Texas went further west and they spread this holiday, which, yeah, I think I would say that, you know, it was definitely a celebration of emancipation, but it was also a celebration of black life and culture. Yeah, it is interesting. I'm I'm a little out of my skis here, but I wonder if it had come from another state and ended up along migration patterns that it ended up in maybe Chicago or certainly on the East Coast, if maybe it would be more widely celebrated or what more widely expected just because those are the centers of political power or something? Centers of political power and centers of media as well. Like you could right. imagine sure. that if Juneteenth was centered in a place like D.C. and New York, it was certainly celebrated there. But if it had been centered there, that it might have gotten a little bit more attention. Although, again, like the black press and the white press were still pretty separate institutions well into the 1970s and 80s. Sure. And even to today, I mean, we see, yeah. we certainly see a gap. And I think, you know, we're, we're recording this, we're doing this. It's not a coincidence that we're sort of keen to do this right now because there is a conversation specifically around Juneteenth. And so let's talk about it as a potential holiday and then a little bit about how holidays come to be. We don't have that many federal paid holidays in this country. We have New Year's Day and New Year's Eve, Memorial Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Thanksgiving, you know, 47 of 50 states recognize Juneteenth as either a state or a ceremonial holiday, but it is not a federal holiday. It is not a day that you get paid, even though you don't have to go to work. Do you see that anywhere in the future for June 19th? Oh, I absolutely do. I mean, I think that one of the broader conversations that this is a part of is how we memorialize our past. And holidays are a big part of that. We've seen this in fights over things like Martin Luther King Jr. Day, how it was gradually accepted both at the state level and then ultimately at the federal level, or things like Robert E. Lee Day, which has been a holiday in the South that in recent years has been either taken away as a state holiday, has been taken off the calendar, things like that. And so that contested 
nature of historical memory and historical celebration is playing out right now in really important ways. And Juneteenth is going to be a benefactor of that. Right. And we see that happening now. Um, As of this episode, we have companies like Nike and Target saying that they're going to make Juneteenth a paid holiday, joining a bunch of other companies. A few states are doing it, some NFL teams. And there was this Trump rally in Tulsa, which was originally scheduled for Juneteenth on Friday. And then he moved it under pressure to the next day, Saturday, which I'll just add two notes to that I mean, one, what does it say that everyone, even Republicans, concede that Trump doing a rally on Juneteenth would be insensitive? Maybe that tells you something. And in general, with COVID, this rally should not be happening. I, it like checks every box for how you spread this disease. It is madness to me that it's happening. But this is not a news podcast. Uh, this is a history podcast. So I will say that, you know, your point about um, framing of holidays as contested historical spaces is actually really smart because it's a reminder that there's always an opposition side in these cases. So like Martin Luther King Day, we shouldn't forget how long it took, how shameful it was that it took that long to gain widespread recognition. There were holdouts well into my adult lifetime. So we're seeing it with the monuments and we're seeing it with the Confederate flag. Uh, holidays are absolutely part of this contested history as well. Yeah. Okay, we're going to start to wrap up. Let's do another little other things that happened on this day because there are some interesting tidbits here. So quick takes. 1798, the Alien and Sedition Acts pass. You don't have to have a take on that if you don't want. I can, we can just note My it. take is that free speech is, well, I don't have a take. Go ahead. Okay. You don't have a take. There you go. See, you have the freedom to not have a take. Uh, <laughs> 1912, the Republican convention in Chicago split between President Taft and Teddy Roosevelt. And after Taft was nominated, Roosevelt split off and formed the Progressive Party, also known as the Bull Moose Party. We could certainly could have done an episode on that. I will say we're starting to get into convention season and contested convention season. So we will have lots of those kinds of moments coming up. And then 1984, Allen Berg was killed in his driveway. Tell us who Allen Berg was and why he, how he fits into American political history. Sure. Allen Berg was a Jewish radio show host, and he was murdered because he was Jewish. And he was murdered by white power activists who were inspired by a book called The Turner Diaries, which is sort of the Bible of the white power movement. It was written in the 1970s and actually was the inspiration for the Oklahoma City bombing as well. All right. So those things happened on this day, as did many other things. And this is my chance to point out that on social media at This Day Pod, both on Instagram and Twitter, we several times a day mention other interesting tidbits that happened throughout that day. So subscribe. Anyway, Nikki Hemmer, thank you as always. So great to be here, Jody. All right. Uh, This Day in Esoteric Political History is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX. You can find out lots more about the show, including how to suggest a topic at thisdaypod.com. We have been getting lots of great emails and suggestions and just notes about what we discuss on the show. So keep it coming. I'll try and respond to as many of them as possible. Um, And hey, leave us a rating and a review. It is not just an ego boost. It is also an ego boost, but I will say that it does help others discover the show. So leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And hey, do me a favor. I've been noticing that a lot of people seem to be catching up on this podcast over the weekend, which makes sense that these episodes you can kind of go back and binge. So maybe if you're a fan of the show, try and get someone to become a listener this weekend and have them catch up. There's a little assignment for you. Our producer and researcher is Jacob Felbin. Next week, we have a great guest on deck, Jane Koston from Vox. We're going to talk about, well, you know what? We're going to talk about 1968. We keep coming back to 1968. But this is something we didn't know about, actually, an event from 1968. And you may not either. We're also going to talk about the Civil War and lots more. That's coming up next week. My name is Jody Avergan. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.
It is, as you may have heard, an election year. But do you feel like you have a lot of choices? Here are the new candidates, same as the old candidates. How did we get here again? The fact is, our democracy is broken. We can all feel it, and there's data to back it up, too. A Princeton University study found that public opinion has near zero impact on what laws are passed. You know what does have an impact, though? Money. You can call it lobbying, you can call it super PAC spending, you can call it corruption. But luckily, there are things we can do right now to fix this broken system. This podcast is part of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition, a group that's banding together to make our democracy better. We're working with Represent Us, the largest grassroots organization fighting to end corruption city by city and state by state. You can join the movement too. Go to represent.us podcast to find out more. Radiotopia. 